The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Everybody, welcome to a good football show. I am your host, Patrick Doherty. Here today, as always, with Mr. John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, and Patrick Rain, where we'll be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week Seven's biggest games, including the Chiefs at the Titans, the football team at the Packers, uh, the Jets at the Patriots. But we don't have to really talk about that yet. Uh, we can get to that at the end of the show. Uh, it's a big week. Six teams on by. That means fantasy chaos on top of the. Other fancy chaos of everyone being hurt already. Is this so? This point, this is how I started the show. Is the point where everyone is hurt already? Is this arriving early, late, or like just as normal? And to me, it honestly feels kind of like just normal, like week six or seven. That's when we're kind of settling into all right, no good players left in fantasy football. Uh, Dearness Johnson, clearly my RB1. Uh, what did your guys take on this, this moment? Is this at the right time in the calendar for no one left to be healthy? It's Mozart. It's a crescendo of everything happening at once, a tidal wave. That's why it feels more impactful. Uh, The bye weeks, if it was just like the Falcons and a couple other teams going away, who cares? It wouldn't hurt us. But the fact that it's the Bills, Cowboys, Vikings, Chargers, the Steelers have an RB1, the Jaguars even have produced James Robinson, that's why it hurts so much because not only the injuries, it's good players going away. That's why if you look at the running back ranks, Pat, for instance, that you'll have out this week on the site – it's not really even about ranking. It's about asking yourself, can you survive this week? Everyone's in play because everyone's an RB2, essentially. So it's just all happening at once, which is why it hurts. Yeah, we usually rank 50 to 55 running backs. I don't really want to disappoint the listeners, but I have nine running backs ranked this week. Uh, (laughs) There are nine startable running backs. And three of them are Jets players. Yeah, (laughs) so that's tough. And John, as you mentioned with the buys, too, not only is it six teams on by with a lot of really important fantasy players, it's kind of like a rope-a-dope after last week because the buy started in week six, but it was the Falcons, Saints, Jets, and 49ers. So it's like we didn't even like really notice it was the buys because well, there was like four or five fantasy heavy hitters there, and that was it. And, yeah, this week, I mean, say goodbye to Josh Allen, say goodbye to Justin Jefferson, Najee Harris, <laughs> Justin Herbert, Everyone of the Cowboys, I'm yeah, I'm uh, literally in tears. And uh, I mean, are we, should we just should we just stop? Should we just stop playing? Um, the, the thing is, like in my waivers Q and A chat replay, shameless plug by the way, always available on YouTube and Twitch afterwards Tuesday night. But every, I there were a lot of complaints about bye weeks, but I will tell you, like everyone is dealing with the same thing, so it's no excuse to take the L. Uh, we are here. You have to figure it out, like everyone in your league is trying to figure out. Thus, we'll get it done. We'll get the job done. Yeah, be an adult. Figure it out. Uh, Crane, you've 
been very silent. Are you just are you dead inside? Are you secretly realizing you're in better position than everyone else? What's going on with you? No, it it does feel early to me. This uh, this wave of injuries plus the bye weeks. I mean, I don't remember. This is the first time I've been doing this full time. But God, I mean, this feels like it should be like week thirteen, week twelve. Like <laughs> we're going into week seven. And everyone's hurt, and there's and there's no teams that aren't on by. It does seem pretty wild out there. I, I have to say, yeah, wild in these streets. And you know what better way to begin a wild week of fantasy with the uh, Denver Broncos road tripping to the Cleveland Browns? A forty-one total affair that'll probably be coming down even more. I mean, I think some Baker Mayfield absence is already baked into that. No Baker Mayfield, but the Browns are still catching two points as faves. Uh, Case Keenum is in for his first start since week 16, 2019. Daigle, uh, I mean, first off, is that should the Browns still be favored? Uh, and is there really any difference in this Browns offense without Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum? I'm not trying to like sell Baker like too short, but like, how what is the downgrade realistically from Baker Mayfield to Case Keenum and fantasy? Mayfield only had one turnover the past three weeks. Um, Actually, his last turnover was all the way back in week two. But overall, we've seen him miss so many wide open throws while injured. I don't think it's a significant discount or drop off to Case Keenum, who, as we know, had his best year in 2017 under Kevin Stefanski. Very familiar with the offense and the playbook overall. I would imagine he steps right in. And for as many injuries as the Browns are dealing with on offense, the same can be said for the Broncos on defense as a majority of their front seven is out as well, including linebacker Josie Jewell uh, and Bradley Chubb. So overall, I think it's pretty much a wash in how poorly Baker was playing. I don't think it's a it's a downgrade too much. So not worried about that. More concerned that the talent on the Browns offensive side of the ball with everyone injured, I mean, they're scarce right now. Do we even know yet if Odell's playing? I know DMP on Monday and Tuesday. Um, has he officially been ruled out? I don't believe he's officially been ruled out, but on top of that, so we, we know the running backs, but something that maybe goes underrated is both starting tackles open the week with back-to-back DMPs, yes. and they didn't play last week. And, and their center, backup tackles. J.C. Treader as well. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. And their, their backup tackles got embarrassed. That was a, a game I was watching for blurbs, and uh, it was not good. I mean, they just looked completely out of sorts. So uh, they're like... This is incredibly rare that they're going to be playing. I mean, literally, their starting running back runs a four eight and was in the AAF, and their backup and their backup running back, their number two running back, was like a wide receiver running back gadget hybrid that was like, oh man, three preseason PPR points on the week two preseason <laughs> slate, and we were like dying to get him in our lineup. So this is like and and bad. still is like he's being used like a yeah. wide receiver even now. This will be the first week he is a running back if he is one. Real quick, can everything you just said, can anyone, any of you Vegas boys, explain to me how Cleveland is still favored? I mean, is that just going to keep coming down and maybe get to a pick 'em or a Broncos favors? Like, because, yeah, n- none of these dudes have practiced. Odell has not practiced. Neither tackle has practiced. Uh, you know, we're, again, we're down to the third string running back. I mean, how, what, am I missing something? I mean, I know the Broncos aren't good, but uh, how is this, is this a matter of it being a short week at home, basically? They're at home, right? Plus the uh, injuries, like I said, for the Broncos also, including two offensive linemen. So for as bad as it is the Browns, they are getting the pub because it's more notable players. But there are still significant starters for the Broncos missing. That's why. Producer Adam says that 
Well, produ- I, producer Adam says that the line also opened already baking in a good amount of the uh, of the Baker injury. Because, I mean, it was, like, pretty bad. He was in a ton of pain when he went down. I was honestly shocked he it, went back His in. arm was quite literally dangling. And the, uh, the first hit he took that, uh, it, like, partially tore his labrum on an interception that he threw and made the tackle for, it is, like, that is the picture-perfect way to dislocate your shoulders. Dude, run straight, like, parallel in or straight, like, perpendicular into your shoulder. Like, this arm has taken a beating, so I'm really even surprised he finished out that game. But, uh, you know, shout-out to producer Adam for letting us know that, you know, Vegas kind of had this in mind already. My theory is that this is all just fear that we might get Drew Locke on the Denver side because <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater's nursing a foot injury, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you saw, he jumped off the podium today. Uh, and made a point. He jumped using his good foot to his good foot so that he wouldn't have to put any weight on his bad left foot. So I wouldn't say he's like a lock to finish the game, not even a lock maybe to to be the starter. So Pun intended. um, I don't know, but this is the most most aggressive and insightful scouting Karain has ever done. This is incredible. (laughs) Our our spreadsheet guy is giving us like the leap-off trajectory of a quarterback coming just off a podium at a practice. (laughs) It's as if Bridgewater was hit 17 times and sacked five times last week. Almost like that happened. Also as if he's not good. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, we always put too fine of a point on Teddy Bridgewater. We feel bad for you. You don't commit that many turnovers, Teddy, but at some point have you ever considered being good? He's still not true lock, so we'll take it. That's he's a very good point. Uh, seismic right. golf there. I mean, who, how high can we get Dearness Johnson in these rankings? Like, as we lay it out, there are six teams on by – Injuries galore. I mean, I have him right now in like the RB like 15-ish range. Does that sound insane to anybody for Dearness Johnson? I know that's kind of – I'm not giving that with any context, but got him ranked as a high-end RB2 for a team that's just going to have to establish the run. And we know in the best times wants to establish the run, and now we'll kind of have no choice. Short week, the no quarterback, maybe no Adele. Does RB15 sound crazy to anybody? RB13 to 15 is where I think he should land, a fringe RB1, just giving the touch base floor he gives you. Uh, we've seen Demetric Felton sprinkled in um, just two backfield snaps all year for Demetric Felton. But if you go back to the preseason, he played 20 backfield snaps there compared to 36 as a wide receiver, not being used there in the regular season because, of course, they have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Why would they ever put Felton in the backfield when they have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb? The thing is, now they don't. So I bet we do see him there a little bit more. Having said that, Darius Johnson still has 100% of the team's carries, all three of them, behind Chubb and Hunt this year, whereas Felton hasn't received an actual like carry just yet. So I would imagine we're still going to get 12 to 18 touches from Darius Johnson, and in a week like this with this landscape at his position, you absolutely take that. For the Broncos, so we got chaos on both sides. But for the Broncos, I wanted to take kind of like a going forward type perspective where there's apparently, a, in the words of Coach Vic Fangio, a less than 50% chance Jerry Judy returns from his high ankle sprain on Thursday night. And I'm just wondering when Jerry Judy, I mean, hopefully in week eight returns, is he going to still pass Tim Patrick? Or is this kind of getting into danger territory where Tim Patrick's getting a little too entrenched? You know, guys a lot of times don't hit the ground running coming back from a high ankle sprain. Or is that overthinking Jerry Judy and he will still clearly be ahead of Tim Patrick? On the like the Broncos, like say targets delineation when he returns. The way I always think about this stuff is like if we're you know if Jerry Judy's going to be at all who we thought he was heading into the season, then Tim Patrick's not going to be a concern. We don't know you know these guys can always disappoint, but if it's even close, then it wasn't the injury; it was that Jerry Judy's not taking the leap that we thought he could take oh, no. this year. Tim Patrick has not been that great. He's not been 
terrible. He's a very good reserve wide receiver, but uh, he has a 1.64 yards per out run this year, which is solid. But he's actually been more efficient than you'd expect in his yards per target. So if anything, like he's been pretty solid and is probably going to regress towards like very mediocre. That's not a high bar for Judy to clear if he's able to get back to full health. All right, thanks for talking me down on that, Pat. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Jerry Judy was looking like a special second-year pro, a former first-round pick in the summer. Hopefully he can pick up where he left off. Kyle, I mean, this backfield, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, it's still just even Steven, basically. I mean, do we have any differentiating factors right now, or is this just is this 50-50 just here to stay? And, like, are we, are we kind of silly as, like, a fantasy industry, like, expecting the Broncos to just move on from Melvin Gordon, who really, he hasn't given any good reason, really, for them to do that. And Javante Williams really hasn't given any good reason for them to do that yet. Just what is the state of this backfield right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you laid it out pretty much perfectly is that, uh, you know, Melvin Gordon's playing well enough that like given the the coach's general uh, veteran deference to a guy like Melvin Gordon, he's not like fumbling the ball away. He's not getting stuffed on every carry. Like like when you watch David Johnson run, you're like, he's old enough and unathletic enough that maybe he should never carry a football again. Melvin Gordon has yet to reach that point. So you're you're kind of okay seeing him get 10 carries a game. I think it just remains a split backfield on a team that probably should at least run the ball decently, that should probably be decent on time of possession because they have such a good defense. But they play slow. They don't play to score a lot of points. Uh, they're both like, I mean, this week is different. Uh, they're both co RB ones apparently because Mike Boone behind them is like, well, uh, I literally have a dynasty where I think I'm sorry. Mike Boone is very unfortunate Oh man! in most weeks when we don't have all of the good plays, uh, off the table, they're probably much closer to that, like RB two, three range, because any, any player that caps out at 14 carries at a, at a peak, is kind of difficult to find a ceiling for. Gordon has just four more touches than Williams on the entire year and practiced in full on Tuesday. That's a short turnaround week. He got a full session in. So uh, there's nothing that's going to differentiate them just yet. Uh, if someone tells you there's something happening that's differentiating, they're lying because we genuinely just don't know. And until one of them messes up, it just seems like they're going to continue running out both the split touches. I would like to lie. There is something differentiating them in terms of the efficiency. Javante Williams has the second highest elusive rating in the league. He has the highest breakaway percentage among all running backs in the league. He's been quite good. And this is a guy who broke the college elusive rating record over his college career. No running back has a higher elusive rating than Javante Williams in PFF's database. So he's, his thing that he was supposed to be really good at has translated, which I think is a very bullish sign. Uh, he's the running back the Broncos drafted. Over time, you would expect them to take notice of that fact that, you know, everything they hoped he was, he is, and that he'll, his role will expand. I agree there's nothing to say that will happen this week. I wouldn't expect it to happen this week. Uh, that's not my point. It's just that I do think that there's reasons to be optimistic that at some point Williams is going to take over this backfield. And that's what I tell people as well when they ask me, ROS, this player, this player, I'm still bullish on Javante Williams, that his talent will still usurp this opportunity. Um, like you said, though, short term, don't think it happens. Long term still, this is me still and us still hopeful. Um, we can't confirm it. That's why I really don't care for broken tackle stats because they actually aren't actionable whatsoever. And uh, But yeah, hopefully they see it. 
Crane sounds like someone overweight on Javante Williams and Dynasty. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, Kyle, I have very bad news. Mike Boone is not one of the nine running backs I have ranked this week. So, well, it's kind of a problem for the squad. What about LaMichael P. Ryan? He's available uh, yeah. in that Dynasty League. Crane and I have a LaMichael P. Ryan story where I really did not want to drop LaMichael P. Ryan in my main Dynasty League. And Crane said, no, it's okay. And I well, don't think he's touched the ball a single time all season. But I feel like there was also a a <laughs> second point. I'm not even sure when this point was when you were like, "How could how could you have told me to drop Lamichael Piran?" It's <laughs> no, happen. I don't think I don't I'm not even sure when, but you were I, mad at some point. I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound like something that happened. Uh, uh, <laughs> we get to move on now to the highest totaled game of Week Seven. On from this injury morass of Browns Broncos, it is the Chiefs arriving in Nashville as five point five favorites against the Titans. Vegas has set the over-under, the highest of the week, at 57.5. Before we get into the specifics of this game, though, Crane, I'm just wondering, what did, we liked what we saw from Darrell Williams in week six, correct? And when CH gets back, will he still be ahead of Darrell Williams? Or is like this going to be a guy who runs with this opportunity and just kind of like smacks the Chiefs over the head with, like, this is the guy who should be the lead back on early downs? Or am I getting way too far ahead of myself with Darrell Williams? I mean, we liked what we saw in that he had the backfield. And, you know, they used uh, Jarek McKinnon somewhat as a receiver, but he wasn't getting really a, a big chunk of the of the backfield. Um, and so that's great. And that's great for as long as CH is out. But if you look at elusive rating, here are the running backs worse than Darrell Williams this season. Devontae Booker, Latavius Murray, and Philip Lindsay. It's been gross. And I, I kind of agree on the broken tackle stat ignoring thing. I think one... That type of rusher tends to be overvalued in the fantasy marketplace, so you can get a little carried away with it. And then also, I think those types of stats generally are factored into playing time a fair amount. So, But in this case, where it's like, hey, is this guy doing enough to keep their first-round pick off the field? No, he's definitely not. Um, <laughs> he, he's doing enough to, to take advantage of some increased snaps because of an injury, which is great if you have Darrell Williams. But I think when CH gets back, well, we should expect it to be what it was before, where he's the lead back, not not a workhorse, but you know, firmly ahead of Daryl Williams. We agree. Is anyone, who, who any Daryl thoughts? I mean, Daryl, he's like the RB two this week, by the way. So maybe we should talk about him more. No, I mean, he, I think he's an RB ten, I think, but he's not the RB two. But uh, twenty touches in this game, or the Chiefs? I mean, I don't know. It's running. When was the last time a Chiefs running back got twenty carries? I feel like. Um, but I mean, so, he already got 1984. Last week. Got 24 of 28 backfield touches. So <laughs> I would think like 20 touches is all pretty much automatic for him in a terrific spot because it's not the Chiefs' offense that is the issue here. Uh, Chiefs are first in points per drive. They continue to knock it out of the park and leading the league in yards per play. It literally just comes down to they are also leading the league in turnovers, and only one of those metrics I just cited is is not sustainable. It's a fluke. And so uh, once the turnovers are cracked, it's not going to be the case all year. That's when the Chiefs become the real kings of the NFL, since nothing is slowing this offense down at all. Yeah, and the Chiefs' turnovers have been like not like not just fluky. Turnovers are generally fluky. They have yeah. been like like uh, slapstick comedy level fluky. Last week, I believe it was the one where falling backwards, trying to avoid a sack, Patrick Mahomes throws just this wobbly floating duck that gets intercepted. They had an interception in the end zone before that, and that's been their mo the whole season. And as much as like sure, like you, maybe they ran a little uh, a, a little good on turnovers previously with Patrick Mahomes throwing fifty some touchdowns, like four interceptions. Right? Maybe that's a little over efficient 
But I mean, this this turning me into the Joker with these turnovers has to end at some point. And the thing is, when it does end, it'll just be the most crazy of shootouts because they're also last in the league as a defense in yards per play allowed and last in sacks per game. They can't do they can't make big plays. They can't stop teams from running all over them, passing all over them. They're just destined for shootouts as long as they don't turn the ball over. Yeah, Kyle, you were jokerifying noticeably on Twitter on Sunday, I noticed, with the Chiefs turnover. <laughs> so best of luck to you with that going forward. I mean, the Chiefs backfield, pretty simple right now. What what the Chiefs pass catchers? I mean, Miko Hardman is 138 yards on 17 targets over the past two weeks. Josh Gordon is predictably coming along very slowly. Darrell Williams not doing much as a pass. I mean, is there – is there anything to this chief, these, this group of Chiefs pass catchers behind a hobbled Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, or is this real with Michael Hardman? I mean, it's hard. To even, he was twelve targets two weeks ago, five last week, so he came back down to earth. Basically, I guess this long way of asking: Is this re, is something going off Michael Hardman, where he's kind of pushing himself into actual wide receiver four relevance? The only thing going on is that they don't have anywhere else to go besides Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. That's why he stumbled into uh, 10, 22% and 10% target share over his last three games. Also this past week, Tyreek Hill actually ran the third most routes among their wide receivers, clearly still hobbled by that quad injury he was dealing with throughout the week. That's why it was Demarcus Robinson and Nicole Hardman out there for the first and second most routes at that position. But still, we said they didn't miss a beat offensively. Um, and you still want to trust Miko Hardman because at least he's earning more targets than Demarcus Robinson on his routes run. Other than that, though, you can't go any further on the totem pole since Robinson doesn't earn targets and Josh Gordon doesn't play. I think it's tough with Miko Hardman even. I mean, I agree that he's like very much ahead of Demarcus Robinson, but he's difficult for me to trust. You know, if maybe if Tyreek Hill's really banged up, for this game, even more so than last week, but he only earned a target on 14% of his routes even last week. Uh, he has 1.34 yards per route run. It's not great. Uh, and this is like when you look at yards per route run, you know, one thing that I want to factor in is how is the offense playing overall? He gets to play with Patrick Mahomes and he's very inefficient on a, on a per route basis. It's hard it's to not do. a good sign. And he's not been good in yards per route run at any point in his career. He's been pretty solid in, in yards per target at times, but that's actually not something we really ever want to put weight into. So uh, it has not been the best uh, season for Nicole Hardman, even though I do agree if you're going to take a stab after Hill and Kelsey, it, it does have to be him. We're just rolling tape from 2020, by the way, that Miko Hardman spiel uh, could have been said at any point in any of the past three seasons. And, you know, the Chiefs are strange because they're one of the league's very best offenses, but unlike the Cowboys – are the Bucks? There's just not a lot going on there in terms of it's so narrow. We know who it is every week. The Titans got some crazier stuff going on right now. Julio Jones looking very doubtful for this week. Uh, AJ Brown finally came back to the land of the living last week with I think seven catches for 92 yards. Now the football team could not take advantage of the Chiefs' defensive deficiencies last Sunday, but I mean the Titans are better positioned to do so. Is this? An A.J. Brown supernova week. I'm going to play it like that because I think if you, if there's any way to at least get – it's like it's going to be – I guess when I think about it, I'm thinking about it in DFS terms, but it is going to be so hard to play this just obvious, obvious shootout. You said uh, it opened at 57 and a half. I actually think some books open at 56 and a half, and it's already come up, and I could see it continuing to go up another point or two. It's just an insane matchup between two great offenses and two atrocious defenses, and the Titans on top of this are also losing members of their secondary left and right. Mm-hmm. So I think – if 
there is a spot that we ever have AJ Brown to go off. You could not script it better than this one. Does that guarantee that it will happen? I don't know. It, it, it probably doesn't guarantee that it will happen, but I think he'll be at least one of the, the lesser popular. I'm not going to say he's unpopular. That would be insane, but lesser, I hope. I have a theory as to why Kyle is going to be playing AJ Brown because Kyle is a very sharp contrarian player in these tournaments and the field is not going to be on AJ Brown because they're going to be on Derrick Henry who is just set up to have, I mean, he's already doing everything this season, but he's going up against the Chiefs defense that ranks 31st in EPA allowed per rush. So, I mean, he could just crush and Daigle was talking about how, you know, the Bills looked great in EPA until they met Derrick Henry. You know, the Chiefs look terrible in EPA, and now they're about to meet Derrick Henry. So it could get ugly. Your your defense is only as good as Derrick Henry allows you to be. That's pretty much the commandment of the year. We know the Titans are going to try to run. Now the question is, since their defense is so bad, can they run as my video begins to freeze? Does it matter if the Chiefs are still pummeling their defense, since like we talked about earlier, the Chiefs' offense is so good. And so that's what it comes down to with Derrick Henry and DFS. Do the Chiefs build a three-score lead, and thus the Titans can't run. But overall, Derrick Henry is the RB1 on the week, and right now he's trending towards the RB1 on the entire year. Karain, you had so many offseason pieces on elite running backs becoming league winners trying to reach that 26 points per game threshold. Was it 23 or 26? 23. 23. 23. Yeah. And Derrick Henry is the only one averaging over 21. He's at 26 right now. Uh, the train doesn't stop. You said yeah, fancy. And, th- and you're not supposed to be able to do it this way, but Henry is just uh, just breaking all the rules. It's, yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing is in the past few games, he's kind of returned to mostly Derrick Henry as a receiver. He has 10 targets, I believe, the past three or four games after having just as many in the first two. And that was despite last week, uh, Jeremy Nichols, he looked like he wasn't going to play because he walked out of the field early, then plays. I don't even know if he ended up playing, but he got ruled out almost instantly. So maybe that's one of our avenues to not getting absolutely boat raised by Derrick Henry. Something about this giant super athlete who gets the ball a lot seems to score a bunch of fantasy points. But uh, I mean, he's obviously the RB one on the, on the week and really he needs to get hurt to not be the RB one of the year. He just, he's going to kill everyone because the other guys who are competing with him are going to miss time. And the dude is impeccably healthy for a guy who touches the ball so incredibly much. By the way, Crane, you mentioned, you know, pivoting off Henry to AJ Brown and DFS. I mean, fading the big dog is, always worked right that's a foolproof dfs strategy uh fading derrick right. henry so the way what you want to do in tournaments is pick things that work every week consistently yes. <laughs> well no every you, year you, there's you one player every year so obviously it's kidding but every year there is one player who you never fade going you know 2014 you never didn't play odell beckham no matter what no matter how like unsharp it was you just played odell beckham you know, cooper cup kind of trending that way it doesn't matter just play a cooper cup every week and Derrick Henry, I mean, his salary on DK, sure, it's up to 17.8K. You play him every single week, no matter what. Never, ever well, fade the big dog. I'm sure, you know, and and Daigle and Kyle can can speak to this, but you can play Derrick Henry in GPPs. Like, you can't not, you know, you're allowed to do it. You'd probably have to get super <laughs> contrarian around it, depending on, on uh, your field size. Well, yeah, if you're going to get contrarian that. around him, is there any other Titans pass catcher other than A.J. Brown worth playing in redraft or DFS this week? If Julio Jones sits, or is this just like a dead letter? You can't bet on Josh Reynolds, et cetera. 
That is for Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, and DFS Building Block Show. Um, I will say, though, we saw Nick Westbrook, Akeen Akine, who we have become all too familiar with for whatever reason this year, step in whenever Julio Jones left the field and did finish third among the team in routes run. Um, third most routes also had all of his targets in production whenever Julio Jones is off the field. He would be the opposite receiver to A.J. Brown if Jones can't go in this one. And on a week with so many buys in the best shootout potential uh, on the slate, of course you don't mind playing him in redraft if you're desperate. We move on to the Packers hosting the fading Washington football team as 8.5-point home favorites. They have an implied total of almost 29. I'd say the big question for Green Bay in this game is the backfield and A.J. Dillon is coming on to bigger workloads. He has 23 touches over the past two weeks. Uh, the Packers said they were beginning to trust him as a pass catcher, but then didn't use him as a pass catcher in week six, unsurprisingly. Uh, Kyle, is there any RB1 concern for Aaron Jones, or is this just kind of the Packers' backfield going back to its natural state that it always was with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, where Aaron Jones is the 1A, there's a clear 1B, or is this going to be something different with A.J. Dillon, who like actually threatens – uh, Aaron Jones's say weekly top 12 status no I mean I don't think you were ever uh ever drafting Aaron Jones knowing that you were going to get the full backfield that was a theoretical upside but the floor was always that he's just Aaron Jones of years before where he's like borderline you know Alvin Kamara or at least Austin Eckler where he's efficient enough he plays on an offense that gets in the paint enough that 14 carries six targets is more than enough and right now over the past four weeks throwing out that week one where they got killed and benched all their starters against the Saints in like the fourth quarter if not what happened there man dude the NFL's weird dude sometimes (laughs) just weird stuff happens right Uh, the same thing with I know they were injured in that game but what the the Titans losing to the Jets right dude NFL's weird sometimes that stuff just happens well the Titans are also weird the Packers aren't usually weird like that the Titans are they just like do whatever any given week but yeah but since since that game 19.4 touches per game over 100 yards and over a touchdown per game like he's doing Aaron Jones things for the most part even if AJ Dillon eats into the backfield a little bit that's almost always been Aaron Jones and he's almost always been an RB1 so I really am not changing my opinion of him much at all the coach speak of course about the passing game didn't come to fruition, but just having double-digit touches and three consecutive games is how A.J. Dillon fills in as an RB2 over the bye weeks. My opinion of it is changing slightly in that we did see a shift in the snaps last week. A.J. Dillon had 42% of the snaps. He'd been at 30% heading into last week, and that was what I had noted after all the coach speak. It's I was basically like, okay, let's see the snaps change then because you know he was getting targeted, A.J. Dillon was in week uh, six at a higher rate, like a way too high of a rate that couldn't sustain based on how many routes he's running. So you want to see the underlying usage increase. The snaps did go up. I don't think it changes anything dramatically, but I think it just basically takes Jones into more of kind of like a second round type of, of value in fantasy drafts. We just need, I mean, it really boils down to it. How much work is AJ Dillon going to steal like as a goal line back? Cause we know even though Aaron Jones is the lightning back, he's also traditionally been his own goal line back. And, that would, I feel like, be the only area if you really need to panic. Of all of a sudden, there seems to be like a clear preference for A.J. Dillon near the goal line. We don't have that yet. But that's like the one thing I'd really be watching with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, correct? Uh, is that a correct take, everybody, folks? Correct. John, I read the waiver wire this week. You've got Big Bob Tunyon on the drop list. Uh, he's got 10 yards or fewer in five of six games. I mean, 
Is this just like as simple as drop him and move on? We probably gave him too much benefit of the doubt. I mean, there are, if you just look at the Titans on the waiver list as well, just between Ricky Seals Jones, um, even OJ Howard, Mo Alley Cox, like those guys are actually better plays than Robert Tanyan. They have been for weeks now. Ali Cox only ran nine routes and he's a better play than Bob than Rob Tanyan. Tanyan over his last this year has eight, 52, six, eight, eight, and 10 receiving yards. Five of six games, he hasn't eclipsed 10 receiving yards. Why are you still playing him whenever studs like Ricky Seals Jones, like Zach Ertz, even in some leagues? Some leagues, shallow leagues, drop Dallas Goddard. Uh, there's no reason to be playing or even rostering Robert Tanyan right now outside of tight end premium leagues. And even those leagues, it's a useless endeavor. You're just going to get people who want to hold on to him anyhow, hoping they get the usage from last year when it doesn't matter because Devontae Adams is taking all the targets away. So, yeah, you just can't use Tanyan at all. John, hear me out. Have you ever heard of this fallacy about sunk costs? <laughs> um, what if I just held him forever? Robert he is Tanyan. that ultimate roster. Like, like, I don't know, man. I drafted him to score touchdowns. He doesn't need to get nine targets a game as he gets like one target a game. I mean, Tommy Sweeney, a player I did not know or, nor had I heard of in the primetime game posted a 1-1-1 line. One catch, one yard, one touchdown. It would have been Tunyon's second best game of the year. A 1-1-1 line. He's like, dude, Tunyon just doesn't, he doesn't hardly play football anymore. He just doesn't get targeted. He has no games over three catches, only one with even three. Legitimately, like, Stop telling yourself that he's going to be a thing this year. He's clogging your roster. All right, well, I'm going to defend Robert Tunyon a little bit. Here we go. Just a, just a little bit. He's run around on 67% of dropbacks, which is not great, but it's not, like, horrendous. And he's got a 5.1 yards per target. So it's not just that he's not scoring touchdowns. He's also been very poor on his targets. Good, good, good. Things but, we want. Yeah, very, we want. Yeah. All good so far. I get where you're but going. I get where you're get, going. He's getting... He's getting some targets. He's got. This is the worst defense I've, I've ever done. But, he's not but he's, only kind of on the field, but he's also bad when he's on the field. So we haven't helped. He scratched he's, him yet. He's got a ten percent target share, which is like real bad. But I can't. I get it. I guess I get it. Of like, let's hold him. Let's see if something shifts. Because what Devonte Adams is doing is historic. Like you shouldn't be able to as a as a receiver in a functioning NFL offense to have forty seven percent of air yards thirty. 37% of the targets. I mean, at some point, like they're going to have to shift things around a little bit. And Tunyon is out there a decent amount. Like, not that much has changed. Uh, I guess I, you know, I'm defending the idea of keeping him in like tight end premium leagues, but it is pretty, it's pretty dire. Yeah. And like I said, I'm going to keep him in tight end premium leagues, but. Even as someone who's going to keep him rostered there, I'll tell you, it's useless. It's stupid. Like, why Why am I keeping him? I'm losing out on so many other options. That's the thing. That's the only way people get right about Robert Tanyan is that they hold on to him until the waiver wire is a desert. And then there's no one else to pick up. They're like, told you, Robert Tanyan, good, good keep. It's like, no, just all the good players are already taking. We've missed out on Dalton Schultz. We missed out on Dawson Knox. We missed out on top six guys all because we held on to Robert Tanyan for preseason priors. It's week seven. Like, you're going to be out of the fantasy playoffs all of a sudden because you just wanted to hold on to preseason priors. Not you, Crane, but just the universal you. And so that's Please stop why, yelling at me. That's, that's why it just, it's just such a useless endeavor. Having said that, deeper leagues, I'm going to hold on to them. I know. Just, uh, you guys should really Google this thing about letting costs just sink further and further. I mean, you should just really look it up. It's a pretty cool strategy for things. And by the way, I wonder if it's as simple as Aaron Rodgers' volume slightly down this year. He averaged like 33, 34 attempts last year. Right now it's like 30, 31. Maybe those are the attempts that aren't going to Bob. 
and they're going to be going back there in the second half of the season. But no, Daigle's 100% right. I don't see any reason to be keeping Bob Tunyon around in normal 10 to 12 team redraft right now. You have to move on. Yeah, I agree. The football. I mean, imagine, imagine watching Alan Lazard catch a shovel pass touchdown and being like, gotta hold on to Robert Tunyon. You know, <laughs> some of those are gonna start going to Robert Tunyon. <laughs> Uh, the football team is a team going in the wrong direction, and that includes their star running back, Shin, whose injury is not getting better. It's actually getting worse. He got slapped with an in-game questionable tag last Sunday. He did play through it. Then he underwent an MRI. You know, with this season circling the drain, is anyone getting, like, real Antonio Gibson fear? Obviously not talking about dropping Antonio Gibson, but – kind of maybe worried that Antonio Gibson isn't going to be like a weekly top 18 back much longer, or see somebody who's too talented. We have to trust them in the human body. Well, I mean, your shin will eventually get better. Maybe not if you're running on it every week, uh, but yeah, who, who, who's got either some uh, Antonio Gibson fear or maybe some Antonio Gibson light at the end of the tunnel. I have some fear. I mean, he's only run around on 41% of dropbacks this season, which, you know, that's impacted by the fact that he's been banged up, but He's still not anywhere near the role that we wanted. And you're kind of like, it was already very thin because he wasn't getting the long down and distance stuff. He's not getting the two minute stuff. So he's, he gets used somewhat as a receiver. He's a 17% targets per out run, which is pretty good. They do throw to him, but he has a very early down specific role. It's kind of like Jonathan Taylor, something like that, where you, you don't have much margin for error with the receiving game. So now this shin injury, his health, it's all sort of us holding on for dear life to a role that wasn't big enough in the first place. So that's where the fear comes in for me. It's like, well, you know, we basically closed out of any real upside at this point, And now you're just kind of holding on to him still being an RB2. Katie McKissick, 16 touches to Gibson's 12 as Gibson tried to return and then immediately got pulled off the field again because he's clearly injured. The good news is Washington's bye week is around the corner in week nine. We're also expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to return in week 10. So maybe, you know, if it doesn't go well this week, if he even plays, we see him held out for a couple of weeks to get that extra rest and then come back in week 10. That's why you're still holding on to him. But I understand that's a frustrating endeavor if you're a team that's, you know, three and three, two and four, trying to compete for the fantasy playoffs right now. I mean, do we think – is there any chance they sit Gibson this week and next? Or it doesn't really seem like the kind of forward-thinking thing the football team would do. But, I mean, do any of you have a read on that? It's only Wednesday. We don't have an official practice status yet. But, I mean, is that a fear? Last uh, so, we didn't get the official practice, but uh, Rivera himself, you know, coaches will just say who was and wasn't practicing before the actual thing comes out. He did not practice today. But he also has not practiced for three consecutive Wednesdays before this. He's, he's just with any player who is not like a rookie trying to get his first reps of the season, like Rashad Bateman, they're perfectly fine just sitting him on Wednesday and maybe even Thursday. With that being said, it's getting worse. The, them saying he needs an MRI and getting pulled from the game is not the same as it's been in previous weeks. In previous weeks, when he DNP'd on Wednesday, I was like, I don't know, a lot of guys DNP on Wednesday like Julio Jones hasn't played on a Wednesday in like eight years or something so I was fine with it but things are obviously getting worse so this is the most at risk we have been yes Uh, last week Scott Turner's exact quote was it's not limiting Gibson and then it limited Gibson so it only gets worse unless he gets pressed it only gets worse that was a yeah I hope they do sit him as someone who has Gibson I'd rather take you know a couple weeks off and then at least because that's the path to upside that maybe he's healthy maybe he comes back and he's not but what did we miss out on like 20 combined fantasy points. You know what I mean? It's not that bad. And I wrote in the waiver wire column to get ahead on Jarrett Patterson for this reason. Having said that, I still believe 
McKissick will get a majority of the carries. Patterson will sprinkle on carries, but I think McKissick will lead the team in touches still and get a majority of carries. So that's the player you still want. The issue is, of course, he's not available because he's like an RB3 in PPR leagues right now. So uh, you're still stashing Patterson everywhere for this moment. And Crane is right. As a manager, that is what you should be hoping for with Antonio Gibson, that he sits mm-hmm. this week and next and comes back after the bye, hopefully healthy for the stretch run. So much so that if you're 5-1 and one or 6-0, and oh, you're probably trying to lowball for Gibson right now. That's the issue this year. I wrote this in the waiver wire column as well, is that it makes sense to drop like in, in these shallow leagues where you don't have many spots, especially in bye weeks. It makes sense to drop Sony Michelle, Alexander Madison, guys who just don't play at all while those ahead of them are healthy but the issue is they become league winners whenever those ahead of them are injured and so like what that allows for if you drop those players um it's a it's a double-edged sword because then the five and one six and oh teams swoop in they don't need bench players they're just fine they're going to take the contingent league winners and so it's just a it's just really hard to navigate this year i feel everyone's pain that's going through it we'll be right back the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for player on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off your NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription. Next, we have an Eagles team adjusting to life without Zach Ertz and visiting the Raiders as three-point underdogs. John, I'm just going to cut right to the chase and ask, do we finally have some Titan 1 certainty for Dallas Goddard? Correct. We saw last year, I understand different coaching staff, but four games without Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard ran a route on 89% of Jalen Hurts' dropbacks, the team's dropbacks. And this past week, we saw Zach Ertz play a season high, 88% of Philadelphia snaps. The one-for-one and talent exchange from Ertz to Goddard is not the same. 
but the 11 personnel one for one is the same because that means they are going to use less two tight end sets. They do not believe in Tyreek Jackson that much. And then they will put Kez Watkins out on the field, presumably more, especially after he ran a season high and routes run on Hurts to drop backs this past week. Also saw uh, 17, no, 19% of the team's targets. So we have increased confidence for Kez Watkins and Dallas Goddard. Genuinely, in my mind, is a top six tight end the rest of the way. Top six. Does that sound right to you, Crane? Is that is it's that not hard bull- to get there? To be fair, is it too bullish in an offense where, like, I've, I've already said this on a podcast? Basically, it was like Jalen Hurts is basically he's like a black hole, like the center of the Eagles' offense, where all the fantasy points kind of he like sucks in all the fantasy points to himself, and like they can't like he is hitting every week. He's been a QB one all six weeks so far, and just everyone else has been so sporadic because he's like the one guy who can like finish plays in this offense and. What would be your over/under for Dallas Goddard ranking Crane? That that seems about right. I mean, you're the the trick is if you say top six, it's because there's like three to four guys that matter, and then everyone else is you know it's kind of whatever. So, uh, but I think somewhere in that range, he's he's only been targeted on fifteen percent of his routes this year. He's actually had a really good eleven point four yards per target. Which in this case, like, I don't want that. I want him getting a bunch of targets on limited routes. Now his routes are going to spike. His routes are definitely going to spike, but he might not see a ton of targets still. And then on a larger sample, he's going to be less efficient on his targets. So we got some aggression, some negative aggression coming our way for Dallas Goddard, even as his role will definitely increase. Uh, I wonder if they if they bring back Richard Rodgers and then eventually it'll be Tyree Jackson. Um, who they designated to return from IR. But I think there's going to be like a two tight end element to this offense, you know, at least long term, maybe short term as well. Uh, so I'm not sure that he's going to be out there like 85% of the routes or anything like that for the rest of the season. I, I think it could, I think it could top out around like 70, 75. Dangle, I'll just ask you some like heads up going forward. Would you rather have be rostering Dallas Goddard or Noah Fant? Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard or TJ Hawkinson? TJ Hawkinson. To me, to me, Dallas Goddard is right there with Tyler Higby. Uh, Tyler Higby also received a bump since Johnny Munt is now out for the year. And we saw him hit season highs and usage uh, behind the scenes on the field without Munt this past game, or at least injured this past game. And so I think that's where it is. Just a guy who's going to be on the field every single snap. Also, Goddard is an elite talent. So I understand the numbers Corrine said, but also uh, I believe they'll sustain because that's the kind of talent he is. Um, and so, yeah, this is his first time ever actually to be featured now. I don't think they were running multiple tight end sets because that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to run what their personnel gives them and their personnel gives them now only one competent NFL tight end and three NFL rod receivers. So I think that's what they do moving forward. Real quick, John, Dallas Goddard or Dawson Knox? Uh, Dawson Knox. Ooh, man, I wasn't expecting that one. Uh, better, better offense. Also, Beasley was a product this past week of increased 11 personnel because that's how you attack the Titans. Dable smart. He knows that. That's why Beasley was like a, a pretty good DFS play and like someone you had to jam in knowing that's what they were going to do. Um, Dawson Knox, I would expect to be back after the bye and then back to his normal rate of routes run around 85%, knowing that they're going to continue leaning on um, less 11 personnel or at least sprinkling in Knox as a wide receiver as well. Depending on the hand surgery, it seems like he's going to be back after the bye. Maybe they're lying about that timeline, though. John Daigle contains Dallas Goddard multitudes, I'll say. 
Uh, Kyle, is Miles Sanders finally heating up? He's out-touched Kenny Gainwell 27-4 to over the past two weeks. He was a critical uh, factor in the second half against the Bucks last Thursday night. Actually ripped a lot of chunk gains against a really good run defense. Maybe it's because they had quite literally stopped expecting the Eagles to ever uh, attempt to run the ball. He was getting Bronx cheers every time he got a carry. Like the crowd, like, all right, a carry. This is amazing. Uh, anything to cling to with Miles Sanders the past two weeks, Kyle? Yeah, and like you said, Kenneth Gainwell, like he disappeared last week. He had no carries, two targets, one of which he caught, I believe. And throughout the year, Miles Sanders, despite giving up that receiving role at some points to Kenneth Gainwell, is still averaging nearly four targets per game. And now if we say Kenneth Gainwell is going to see, as a classic, you know, rookie gets more games under his belt, and then you stop using him, like the Chase Claypool uh, treatment of last year. If we can even project some small amount of scale back in terms of Gainwell, because that's what we've seen over the past few weeks, He'll probably, I, I was pushing him back all the way to like RB3 range pretty comfortably. I guess you sort of have to move him back, especially this week, but in most weeks with full players, closer to that RB2 range. But his team is still one of the highest pass rate teams in the league. We still don't expect them to go away from the Jalen Hurts play superhero ball type of game. And their defense, I don't think is going to be really that successful in stopping most other teams. So because of that, I mean, he should probably see a little increase in work, but they the team just can't afford and doesn't seem to want to use their running backs. If you get all of the touches, it's a boost, but the ceiling still feels pretty weak. Yeah, I think we kind of bought the top here on Kenneth Gainwell because we were talking him up a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> but over the last two weeks, Sanders has taken back the backfield in a really important way. Uh, he has 78% of the snaps, 91% of the backfield attempts, and 16% of the targets. And that's really the thing so that now over the course of the year, both him and Gainwell have a 12% target share. So if he's going to be tied with Gainwell for target share and has a very clear lead on him as a rusher, then there's some value for Sanders because so much of the value of this offense is going to come through the, the receiving game. We need Sanders to be involved there, but he has been in a big way. And it's possible that, you know, the 16% target share that he's had over the past two weeks is actually closer to what we'll see going forward than the 12% season. I would take the I, I think he probably aggresses closer to that 12%, but this has been really a bullish stretch for Sanders. 15 touches to Gainwell's 13 in weeks three and four for Sanders. In the past week, 27 touches to Gainwell's four. Uh, the only thing I'll say, like, yes, Gainwell's droppable in shallower leagues, 12-team leagues, if you need the roster spot given all the injuries and buys. But the only thing I'll say, like when broadcasters are excited during NBA games, they just – it's unfathomable to them that when a team goes on a 20-point run, the other team can't also go on a 20-point run. Like, it's shocking that a team can come back when it just happened. The same thing is it's going on in this backfield. If the pendulum swung one way for no reason in particular, of course the pendulum can swing back the other way for no reason in particular. So that's why in deeper leagues, I'm holding on to Gainwell. I understand not every team is in that situation too. If that's the case, yes, you can feel free to drop him. But I wouldn't guarantee Sanders is in this role for the rest of the season at all. And in this analogy, we were the broadcasters two weeks ago saying, oh, man, yes. Kenneth Gainwell ripping it <laughs> off. Kenneth Gainwell, yeah. he's on pace for, I think, an RB1 season right here after seeing, you know, a handful of extra targets and stuff. And But Diggle's right. Like, if we don't have a very concrete reason as to why they're going back and forth, it, like a lot of it is just like variance. It's going to be like specific matchup dependencies, specific like health dependencies. So yeah, if we can't really solidify as to why Kenneth Gainwell has disappeared, there's no reason he can't reappear, which I think is like spot on. 
And I brought him up in the waiver column in week four as the top pickup. And I did mention long-term. So that's nothing has changed there. It's still long-term. But I will say it did like break my heart, in particular against the Bucks when he wasn't used as a pass-catching option. It's like, well, that was kind of the nut game script and game plan for him, and they just didn't use him at all. Yeah, everyone it does sometimes feel like uh, the NFL season is an NBA game that lasts four and a half months. So yeah. I like this analogy. <laughs> uh, if the NBA season lasts like 12 months, it feels like, and that's what the NFL season feels like. And yeah. the NBA re- regular season is the least important regular season in all of sports, and then the postseason is maybe the best postseason in all of sports, and we're all just – Marv Albert shouting downtown for Kenneth Gainwell. But NBA social matters. media in season, still the absolute best. It is the best NBA Twitter. So check out NBA Twitter if you haven't already. <laughs> Henry Ruggs is 15th in receiving this season, 445 yards. He has at least 50 yards in five straight games. With six teams on by, is Henry Ruggs a wide receiver too against the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, Kyle Dvorak. Every time like you ask me questions about where I'm ranking players, you remind me that we're without like half the league, and it's the good half of the league that we want this week. <laughs> uh, this week, he probably does sort of brush up into that territory, but he's still been held to three or a few catches in four of six games. He's still out-targeted on the year by Hunter Renfro, and obviously Darren Waller is just going to run laps around the rest of his teammates. So this week, in a week where we're missing all of our favorite Cowboys, we're missing, we're missing Steelers players. I, I didn't know we were missing the Vikings too, apparently. Many good receivers on that team. Sure. But I think once we start getting a full a full crop of players back after this atrocious buy, he probably returns to more of that volatile, like low end three, probably even a wide receiver four, just because he's not seeing a ton of target volume. And of he's, course, he's going to be more efficient. But yeah, he's not. He's kind of like Deshaun Jacksoning, though, where he has at least one 20 yard catch in all six games. Like that's I mean, we know that's like not sticky necessarily, but we know he's going to continue to get those opportunities. And unlike he was as a rookie, he's actually converting them this year. Um, I agree. He's not going to be like a wide receiver too in like normal times, but his reduction kind of snuck up. I didn't think he'd be 15th in receiving. Like when I looked that up today, I was expecting like 25th, 30th maybe, but he is stacking together like more like raw production than he's probably being given credit for. And Um, so I've been rugs pilled is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And two of his catches on Sunday against the Broncos were 40 plus yards. We've also seen that under in the first game with Greg Olson taking over offensive play calling for John Gruden in their first game under Rich Bisaccia, uh, it was a different scheme. The Raiders doubled their play action rate. Also, Derek Carr throwing six passes, 20-plus yards downfield as he was concertedly attacking their cover one man-to-man coverage. And so I do wonder if it's just more of an – intuitive play calling system now with Gruden out of the way. I did not expect that. But overall, I still think it's a very good matchup for Carr and the passing attack. Dangle, to close out this conversation, I saw you tweet about this the other day. Is Darren Waller just like the screaming buy low to end all buy lows? Um, is there anything to overthink there? or is is Because it's been like five or six weeks now, four catches, 50 yards, five catches, 60 yards. Uh, are we? Is the, the eruption coming? Well, simply put, it was his first game with fewer than seven targets. I understand week one built an unsustainable floor for him with 19 targets. But since then, at least he was going to buy on seven in every game until last week when he just had five. And especially if we don't think they're going to continue tacking downfield. There were times last week where Carr literally just backpedaled and threw it up to his guy or saw a blitz coming and just gave his receiver a chance downfield. And it worked, but that's not always going to be the case. So, yes, Darren Waller is such a sneaky buy low that he's probably not even buy low. I think everyone can see it coming from a mile away. Yeah, he is the uh, – All tight ends and 
weighted opportunity rating. He's yeah, he's one. first. He obviously he's first in target share, second in target came in week one though. <laughs> yeah, and his stretch of matchups coming is just absolutely premier. He gets in in order of these next few weeks the eighth worst defense against tight ends. 5th, 12th, 27th, I think that's the Bengals, then 11th, 15th, 5th again, which is the Chiefs. That is three top 10 matchups and only one below average matchup over, I think that was like seven games. So he gets a ton, he gets all good matchups except for one, and most of those goods are actually great matchups. And like Karain said, a, a great player, given how much of a, like how much of his team's passing he's seeing in great matchups, like yeah, smash, smash, smash going forward. Next, we have the somehow 3-3 three and three Chicago Bears Visiting the world champion Tampa Bay Bucks as nearly two touchdown underdogs. For Tampa, Leonard Fournette is now the half PPR RB4 by both total and raw points over the past three weeks. Playoff Lenny is now regular season Lenny, folks. Uh, he's a top five RB1, I think, for week seven, Kyle. Am I am I am I crazy? Is like am I too am I out over my skis here or uh, is first off is Leonard Fournette, let's just say is Leonard Fournette a top twelve running back going forward? Say even if in weeks even when six teams aren't on by because the usage has been just absolutely nuts for the past month. Yeah, it, it's been pretty nuts. He's one of the you know I tweeted about he's one of the few players that I think really surprised me in his usage because it's the receiving game role, right? Like I'm not shocked that Ronald Jones gets three carries a game. Like if you told me at the beginning of the season Ronald Jones would be phased out of the offense, I would have said like oh yeah that's about week two as I scheduled it. Sorry, but. Pat. The, yeah, I, I have, I have, I'm holding Ronald Jones bags too. But uh, yeah, but the passing game work is really what matters. Maybe they'll and trade him. No, actually, uh, this is great. This is perfect. Arians had a comment. Colleague Nick Mencio says, "Hey, I'm getting this blurb on Ronald Jones." Uh, and I said, "Oh, did they cut him?" Joking. And he says, "No." Arians laughed about the idea of a trade. And then I said, "Did he laugh about the idea of a team wanting to give up a pick for Ronald Jones?" Because I, like he's <laughs> been completely—I know it hurts—but he's been completely phased out of the offense in terms of in terms of top twelve running back the way he's being used. Yeah, we know this is a backfield that has generally been more volatile with their usage. Like we saw just a few weeks ago, ten targets for Giovanni Bernard. But the way Ronald Jones is playing, he hasn't really given them any reason not to. Now we know that that could change. But yeah, I think top 12 is a fair projection this week. I have a log jam at running back five working on my initial rankings. Him, Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon are all kind of right there. I think Jonathan Taylor is the most talented, but I think he's the least likely to have like a seven target game. So if not top five, you're splitting hairs at him six, seven. Out touching Ronald Jones in week four, 23 to six. You think, okay, Giovanni Bernard wasn't available. Ronald Jones can't play passing downs, whatever. No big deal. But then the past two games now with Gio Bernard back healthy, just getting 44 touches to the other two's combined or this backfield's combined 64. It's a pretty significant margin for Fournette, who's actually playing really well too. So overall, yes, I, I agree with you, Pat. I think he's a low-end RB1 for the rest of the season. I jammed Ronald Jones into the contingency top 10, so it, it doesn't seem like he has any value as long as Fournette is healthy moving forward on the waiver wire column this, this past week. But overall, yes, it is Fournette's backfield so much so that even Geo has been phased out of everything except the two-minute drill. This guy was yeah, healthy scratched last December. Let's just uh, try to remember. That's he was cut by his team before that, just a few yeah. months before that. <laughs> he was almost cut, cut twice. I mean, Tampa Bay seriously considered cutting him last year, but he's he is playing much better to Daigle's point. If you look at expected points, PFF, he's tied for fifth with Ezekiel Elliott and Alvin Kamara this Damn. season. And it, he hasn't had this role this entire season. He hasn't, he hasn't, you know, in a way that actually maybe understates 
how big his role could be going forward because it took him a little while to get into the role. So, you know, the expected points going forward might be even a little bit higher. It's it's he has a lot of value. I'll ask you a quick question to close out the Bucks before moving on to the Bears. If Rob Gronkowski finally returns from his rib injury, will he be like say a top eight tight end? Is he gonna pick up where he left off? Or has the Bucks offense gotten even more dynamic, like even deeper while he's gone? Maybe he's kind of like may, I kind of feel like maybe the Bucks almost treat Gronk like a running back, try to kind of like save his bullets for the postseason. John, over under a Gronk being a top eight tight end for this week and going forward. Well, the issue is if he's not used between the twenties, you know, he's going to come in inside the 10 and do what he does best and just mow over linebackers. So he's going to soak up the production. We think what we otherwise would be getting from OJ Howard. If Gronk is ruled out, Howard, for instance, has seen his routes run on Tom Brady's dropbacks increase and progressively in three consecutive games. So much so that Last week, he had a 16.5% target share. That was his highest target share since last year's regular season opener. And so he is getting involved more with as many targets, 11, as Cameron Brait the past three weeks in place of Gronk. But yes, it would be the tight end version of Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston. It would be Gronk coming in and just taking away the touchdowns from the players who earned the role getting there between the 20s. Does that sound right to you guys, Pat and Kyle? Uh, it's kind of a, a dark view of Gronk, but it feels very accurate, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, he's what he's what we all wanted Robert Tunyon to be. Just a dude who scores a lot of touchdowns, except like Gronk is talented and Robert Tunyon really oh, is. Oh, man. And, I'm and just playing that role that we assume he's going to play if injured and available, that's probably that still makes him a low-end tight end one to answer your question. That's all you need is just him out there with Brady. Yeah, and I think he could maybe be in that role to start, but... I mean, he was hyper-efficient, 2.07 yards per outrun. That's very good. Basically, the yards per target you would expect, given his depth of, of targets, and uh, that means that he's been targeted at a really high rate, 24% target per outrun this season. It's kind of like the the scenario you, you laid out about him not playing as much and them saving him I think is plausible. But if they don't do that, if they just have him back in the starting role, then he's a clear tight end one. You know, and I think ahead of a lot of the guys that we've been talking about before, like if he's out there enough, then he's a lot more valuable to me than, you know, Dallas Goddard um, because of how much he's getting targeted. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's important. Remember, I mean, there's a scenario where he's immediately a top five tight end again because he looked like a gear faster too. I thought earlier this season than Mm -hmm. he did last year, like way more back in the swing of things. So he's someone I'm very fascinated to see coming back. He was Antonio Brown is running so hot. Mike Evans said heated up until last week so kind of just wondering where he fits in this offense but uh, he was fitting very very well for breaking before he broke 48 ribs so yeah that top that top eight line seems like sort of the the low ball projection yeah, maybe it, they ease him back in the that's like i say he probably clears that if they just use him as the red zone weapon because tight end is bad and rog Mankowski is good even if he plays limited snaps the, like it's a top five line kind of almost at a minimum like he has a very real chance of being out just outside of the Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, I guess even Mark Andrews type of range if he just plays as he did to start the year. With the Chicago Bears who are opposing these Tampa Bay Bucks again, it's 12 and a half point underdogs right now. We're getting some Justin Fields streamer hype this week. Uh, finally, or people are there. They feel confident enough now to finally try to make a Justin Fields case, you know, against this Bucks defense allowing a ton of passing production, but in his four starts, Justin Fields has been the QB 20, the QB 31, the QB 31, 
And then it's, it's apparently he was the QB 34 in week three. Uh, I don't even know how that's possible because there was, uh, you know, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks. And that was with a start um, for him. But are any of you making the, the Justin Fields streamer in DFS case this week? He was in the waiver column just in case you need a streaming option since Trevor Lawrence and Kirk Cousins are on by, you know, and of course, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, the other guys. Um, and the only argument since he still hasn't thrown over 27 pass attempts and his four starts is that they will do like everyone else who came before them and just throw the ball. Buck's still facing a league high 41.8 pass attempts per game because no one dares run into the teeth of their front seven. Will the Bears do the same? I would think so, but also it's the Bears. So I can't say it with complete confidence. But if so, that's practically what we've been waiting for since we've seen the one time against the Raiders, for instance, against the Packers, too, in some cases, where he was asked to drop back and throw, he very much could downfield in particular to Darnell Mooney. So is that going to be the case this week? I would think so, but, you know, can't be 100% confident. I've no, done I'm some not. research. I started my research as you were talking about that, uh, that Justin Fields somehow outside of the top starting quarterbacks in that week. Taysom Hill scored that week. And uh, who else was it? Oh, Trey Lance. I think uh, oh I don't think he gosh. came in that game, although maybe I don't think he did. I think he just got a random. I don't want to say gimmick <laughs> touchdown, but a scheme touchdown. <laughs> and that was enough to make him not a starting quarterback in fantasy points, despite being a starting quarterback. So, uh, yeah. Crane, lay, lay it on. Lay, lay well, it to Justin Fields. I just don't have any confidence in – I mean, what Diggle's saying is that we need Nagy to design a game plan that makes sense. I don't want to bet on that at all. No. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, they want to be really run heavy, and this is a terrible spot for them to try to do that. But I don't – I think they'll probably try to do it, to be honest. And then they'll be throwing from behind, um, which is not where you want a rookie quarterback. So in kind of like season-long leagues where I, I don't really have another option – Maybe, but I don't think I'll be going back to him in DFS. We'll see I, how Galaxy Brain I get by Friday. But <laughs> I, I've heard from some people very much in the know as well that uh, Laser is getting upset actually because it's Nagy who's still overruling the offense despite not doing the play calling. He still has the final say. And so it's not Laser's offense at all. He wants to do so much more than simply max protect with tight ends. They're just not letting him do it at all. So I just don't know if like this will be the game. Maybe you try it out knowing you're facing an uphill battle. Like if you already know you've lost walking into this game, why don't you try something out that is the way it would work? Bill Lazer and Matt Nagy are doing the the bit where we fire Denny and then Denny appeals, except they're doing it with like play calling duties when everything's go yeah. well. Matt Nagy's like, we're, you know, we're sharing duties and everything's go poorly. He's like, we got to stop Laser from calling plays. Yeah. And this is not charming. Please stop doing this, Bears. <laughs> uh, so we mentioned, you know, this Bucks shutdown run defense. Uh, it would make sense to throw. Uh, it would make sense to feature your pass catching back. We hope that is Damian Williams. If Damian Williams returns from the COVID-19 list this week, does he immediately go back ahead of Khalil Herbert in the rankings? Or has the rookie kind of shown too much the past two weeks? And would you rank Khalil Herbert higher than Damian Williams this week? I would be Williams over over Herbert. Um, Williams has a 0.50 yards per outrun. Not good. He ran around on 81% of dropbacks, though, which just shows you that like they don't really they kind of reach the end of the line here with the running back depth. They're just going to throw Herbert out there for every snap if you know this is the guy they have. So that I think you know with a healthy Williams though tells you that that passing game role is is totally available. 
and I think he'll be much more efficient in that role than Herbert. Just betting on the Bears to be behind, betting on them to need dump-off passes, I'd rather have Williams. Recall in week five as well, 11 of Herbert's 18 carries, which matched Damian Williams' 18 touches in that game, came in the second half for Herbert. So I think they'll go right back to that week five usage and splitting touches, and they'll both be running routes. I don't think it'll primarily be – well, I think it will primarily be Damian Williams, more 55-45, 60-40, because um, Herbert has shown enough that he is good in whatever role you put him in, and they'll just split it like they did in week five. We end our show with the Patriots hosting the New York Jets, a seven-point favorites. The Pats have already eradicated Zach Wilson and the Jets once this season, beating them 25-6 to in week two, making Zach Wilson's life a living hell. Um, but So I'm you know, leading with like the pro-Patriots take, but to begin, Crane, my question is, do you remember Michael Carter – and is Michael Carter, is he with six teams on buys? Is he going to get some love? Is there going to be a Jets adjustment to feature Michael Carter against the New England Patriots? You you could see that coming out of the bye. Um, so so disrespectful to Michael Carter, by the way, <laughs> uh, this prompt. Um, but, you know, he had 52% of the snaps heading into the bye in week five. Uh, Ty Johnson at, at 39%. Tevin Coleman down at 9%. It would be natural, I think, for them to come out of the bye and start to feature Michael Carter. Things have been trending in that direction anyway. I'm still not that interested. I mean, I I would kind of, if we saw this week that they gave Carter, let's say, 70% of the snaps, then all of a sudden he would be interesting. But that's a pretty decent chunk extra that he needs to have before he starts to become relevant because this offense is not one that we want really any exposure to. We need Zach Wilson to start playing a lot better. We need evidence that that a running back is going to take over this backfield in a meaningful way. We don't have that yet. It's certainly possible, but um, I'm going to wait to see if it happens because it's not like the type of thing where if you're a week late, it's going to be a major problem. You you can be a week late on this. To support Michael Carter in a in a dismal week for running backs, at least double digit carries and I believe four or three or five games, at least three targets in every game since week one, and he's out targeted Ty Johnson by one target over the past two weeks. I mean, this is again, I think the issue is almost hardly not the split. Like I think Michael Carter has a reasonable share, as Pat was saying, of the backfield. It's just not a backfield we care about if Zach Wilson turns the ball over every other drive. It's difficult for them to give Michael Carter any sort of ceiling or even a floor if all you can guarantee is like six points, like NFL points on the board. You can't even guarantee they're going to put up multiple touchdowns. So, like, I I think Carter has a good enough share that if the offense was even competent, we would be kind of excited about him. He's a young player who was a decent draft pick, but it's not going to matter too much if we just think that their drives are going to continue stalling or just get outright shut down by turnovers. And remember, we have seen this matchup once already, and Zach Wilson had four turnovers and averaged 6.3 yards per attempt in their first game against the Patriots. So unless there's a game plan change overall, it's not a good situation to be in. I'm actually stunned his YPA was that high in that game. I would have guessed like 3.7. One of the worst uh, performances I've seen by any quarterback all season. That was without Jamison Crowder. Jamison was kind of coming on before the Jets buy. Does anyone have any Jamison Crowder love? I mean, I'm assuming Corey Davis is still the highest ranked Jets receiver. But Crane, is Jamison Crowder safely ahead of Elijah Moore right now? Is this unfortunately where we're at? The Elijah Moore hype. This isn't close to panning out, and it's it's Jamison Crowder's world again in the Jets receiver core. 
if your bet is that the Jets' offense is going to look better going forward out of the bye, then I think you want to be on Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore has been targeted on 20% of his routes. He has a 14.7 ADOT. To get targeted at that rate with that deep of an ADOT is actually impressive. His yards per target is 3.3, which is absolutely atrocious. Like, that's, you know, kind of like like record-settingly bad if he keeps this up. Uh, but... I think that's not something that we want to bet on to continue if if Wilson can kind of deliver any value at all. So if the offense starts playing better, then Moore is in, in a, uh, a position to benefit a lot more than Crowder, in my opinion. Crowder was targeted on 29% of his, or has been for the entire season, 29% of his routes, which is very good. But an 8 out of 5.1, it's the same play as always with Crowder. He's a he's a high-volume PPR guy, not a ton of upside. You're just hoping he gets a bunch of catches. And if anything, he's like a symptom of the offense not really generating any meaningful value. So, I don't know. It's kind of like what you want to make your bet on. As I talk this out, I mean, obviously, you probably want to bet on Crowder because this, this offense isn't going to be very good. But I do think that if you, you're thinking about upside, especially upside the rest of the way, Moore definitely has more upside in that. 3.3 yards per target, I, I do think, is actually hiding a pretty impressive target profile. It, you know, it takes some skill to get targeted at that high of a rate that deep downfield. Yeah, if you if you maybe, say, had a lot of best ball teams, as some of us did, and thought, really interestingly, Elijah Moore, a very extremely productive college player this final season, the, the raw stats don't show it because it was cut short. But if, if you maybe stacked him with Zach Wilson are thinking these teams are just dust, you definitely want to see Elijah Moore be the breakout player. But as Pat said, I just, I've seen this team play, and I don't have confidence that they'll turn things around. And I think part of the problem is sort of like, as Pat said, symptomatically, especially the way Moore's being used in terms of where they're using him, they're not using him in the slot where he profiles as like an electric player out of the slot. In his past two games, he has 11 snaps from the slot. That's where they're using Jamison Crowder, despite Crowder not being the sort of hyper-productive, hyper-athlete that we would think someone like Elijah Moore would be. So I think they're forcing the issue by not playing their super young, talented player, at least we believe talented, and they drafted him as if he's super talented in an optimal way. And instead, they're giving this deference to Jamison Crowder, who I don't, as Pat said, he's not going to give you much on top of just the raw, you know, for fantasy PPR value, but just the raw reception totals that he's racking up. 15 targets in the past two games. I don't have faith that the Jets are going to come out of the bye week firing or anything. I think they're probably going to continue to be a poor offense. And for that reason, I think they continue to use Jameson Crowder. So I bet on Crowder, but it's a bet I don't, I'm not excited to make. I would rather see Elijah Moore break out. We're going to end the show with the only player who matters this week, Ramondre Stevenson. And uh, I'm trying, I can't ever say it. The three podcasts, is it Stevenson's season? How do we say Stevenson's season? Stevenson. Stevenson. Season. Mondra Sison. Stevenson. He's got 19 touches over the past two weeks, folks. He's maybe slowly sliding into that pass catching role vacated by James White. We know Damian Harris doesn't have the profile to handle that. We know Brandon Bolden's just an emergency option. They don't want playing heavy snaps on offense. Is there something to cling to here with Mondra, who he made a really big play as a receiver last Sunday? He's uh, punched in a touchdown after Damon Harris limped off the field. Uh, Daigle, Ramondre, flex season for Ramondre this week, question mark. 
Well, has to be because we have no other choice. But besides that, have, I mean, just to have run one more route than Brandon Bolden this past week, garner a fourteen percent target share on the team. That is encouraging. His touchdown inside the one was a bit fluky since Damon Harris did get injured on that same drive, was taken off the field. That's why Stevenson was in the game for Harris, who had eighteen touches on the entire game. So overall, uh, I think it's slightly overblown, but that's how Stevenson will provide production behind or alongside Harris is because he is used in that role, hopefully, more and more throughout the weeks over Brandon Bolden. Crane, you got you get the final word here on Andre Stevenson. Well, I, I I did do my stat of the week on a prompt that apparently we're not going to get to. So uh, I do No, lay it on us. I forgot. Uh, the Patriots receivers, uh, pass catchers not named Jacoby Myers. Is this the prompt, hopefully? Uh, yes, what's the stat was, of the week? Well, no, they, uh, the – Jacoby Myers was the stat of the week. I wanted to dive into this touchdown thing. I will say on uh, on Ramondre Stevenson, briefly, I think the snaps that he saw last week are encouraging. Um, after He basically saw the same amount of snaps last week with Harris not leaving the game as he did with, with Harris the previous week, uh, banged up. So his role, I think, has increased somewhat. Um, but looking into this touchdown thing with Jacoby Myers, he has not scored a touchdown. I had one back uh, called back due to a holding penalty last week. Just got my wheels turning on one last time this happened mike reese had a tweet on this on twitter and then i I went over to pro football reference and so first of all no receiver has ever had more receptions than jacoby myers without scoring touchdown this is already the longest it's the longest by like a lot he has 121 receptions right now without a touchdown isaiah ford is the second he so what's interesting about that is that isaiah ford only has like 51 receptions or something (laughs) so he's got more than twice and is also an active player. So we could in a few years maybe have Isaiah Ford challenge this. But Blake Bell has actually played the most games in the NFL history since the merger without scoring a touchdown. He has 86 career NFL games. He's active. He plays for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. So there's an, actual, there's an underlying streak here that's even more impressive is probably not the right word. But there's actually a player who needs to get in the end zone more than Jacoby Myers. Blake Bell, we're rooting for you this Sunday. Do you think every time Jody Fortson scores a touchdown, Blake Bell's like, that should have been mine? It's <laughs> funny because the belldozer was like the ultimate touchdown vulture in college. He'd come in for Oklahoma after like they stormed up the field, and he would just run it in for like a seven-yard touchdown. So it's pretty stunning he hasn't been able to steal one as a pro. 30 years old. Can't get in there. Yeah, 30. Man, that makes me feel old, the belldozer <laughs> being 30. I still have time to get my first NFL touchdown. I thought you were going to chime in and say you had never even heard of Blake Bell. You don't know what the University of Oklahoma is. You've never heard of the Big 12 because um, you're 23, and there's no need for a Zoomer to know what the Big 12 is. But that, that's all the time we have for today. Or you, John, you you go. I was just going to say, that the good thing, though, is that Jacoby Myers still has at least a 20% target share in five or six games this year, so you're continuing to play him. Was even in the optimal on FanDuel on Sunday with hmm. Dak, CD, Cooper Cup, Meyer and Myers as the run back to that Dallas stack. So at least he's helping somebody win um, some money since he's only catching passes and not scoring touchdowns in the league. Hey, he got a two-point conversion. conversion. Yeah, so he he was in the end zone. And you know he's going to have a two-touchdown game here at some point and just like have like the the Julio breakout. I don't and, know about that. Uh, he's going to regret his five or six one, touchdowns. One games. would be good. Let's get yeah. one first. <laughs> Start, let's, real quick, I'd be remiss before we left if I did not mention that the NFL season is in full swing and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday night seven. Predict what will happen between the Colts and 49ers this Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. 
and it's free and easy to play. And you can download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Guys, it was a journey today. Uh, I don't know why, but it's week seven, man. We got to steal ourselves for these final 11 weeks of the season. And we'll, we'll all get there together. And, you know, sure, it might be down so many players that we are literally playing for some of these teams later in the season. But we just got to we got to stay focused. We've got to keep our minds right. So I appreciate everyone powering through for an amazing podcast today. For uh, Mr. Crane, for Mr. Daigle, for Mr. Kyle, I'm Pat. We'll be back on Thursday for part two of our preview with Matt Strout. Catch you later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.